Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with free resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. Have you ever been jealous or competitive with another woman? Has another woman ever been jealous or competitive with you? How about when you were growing up? Here's the thing. All humans are mammals. We're animals in the animal kingdom. And all animals are competitive with each other. They compete for status because higher status creatures have more access to food and resources and mates, which allows them to survive and pass along their genes. And we humans evolved with these same competitive survival instincts. But here's the thing. In nature, all competitive aggression is physical aggression. Animals are competing for physical dominance, and they compete by fighting physically with each other. So the alpha male who wins the fights becomes the most desirable mate for females who want to pass along strong genes to their offspring. That's why boys who are athletic are usually the most popular. But human females in modern society are socialized in a way that makes our competitive urges come out differently. The strongest, most athletic female isn't necessarily going to be the most popular the way she would if she was a dude. Because in modern society, girls get their status from their social connections. So when girls are competitive with each other, their aggression comes out socially and it comes out in their relationships. And in this episode of Women Wanting Women, I get to interview Rachel Simmons, the author of the book Odd Girl Out. The Hidden Culture of Aggression in Girls, which is one of the best resources in the world for understanding the ways that girls are socially competitive with each other. And this is a really big deal for queer women because our primary relationships are with females. And that's why I think the book Odd Girl Out should be required reading for all queer women. Rachel Simmons is the author of the New York Times bestsellers Odd Girl Out and The Curse of the Good Girl, and her most recent book is called Enough As She Is, How to Help Girls Move Beyond Impossible Standards of Success to Live Happy, Fulfilling Lives. As an educator, Rachel Simmons teaches girls and women skills to build their resilience, amplify their voices, and own their courage so that they and their relationships live with integrity and health. You can find out more about Rachel and her work on rachelsimmons.com, but before you do, please enjoy this interview with Rachel Simmons. Wow, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is really exciting for me. I have so many questions to ask, so 
All right, let's do it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. You talk about why it is that you started to study what you studied in Odd Girl Out. You said that if you could answer any question in the world, the question that came to mind is, why were those girls so mean to me when I was younger? Yeah, well, I think it really just haunted me for a long time, partly because I, I don't know that I'd ever had such a deep emotional reaction to anything until then. And at the same time, I didn't have any language for it. So something had happened that the adults around me, I mean, they observed it, but I'm not sure they took it as seriously as I needed them to. And so what do you do when you're kind of having your world shaken, but the people around you who are in charge of protecting you and teaching you don't really talk to you about it in a way that gives it meaning. And so I think that's part of why it stuck with me. I needed to make sense of it. And that's why I wrote the book. Yeah, I still think that that people haven't made sense of it. I think, I mean, you've made more sense of it than anyone else. And that's what I love about your book. And it's, it's why I wanted to bring you on the podcast and talk about it because we go through these experiences and then we grow up later in life and especially queer women, then our primary relationships are with other females. And if we haven't figured this stuff out and if all those things that happened to us when we were little girls and other girls are mean to us, there are trust issues, there's confusion, there's confidence issues. Um, so let's, can we talk about all that? So what do you think is, if you could, what do you think are the most important things for women to understand about the relationships we have with other women? Well, I think there's, that's a great question. First of all, I guess, let me start with a sort of challenge, which is, I think we all have to make room for conflict, for having our friends let us down. Like we have to be more flexible in relationship. I think we sometimes expect too much from our friendships. And I think this could be especially true for straight women, actually, who find that their male partners sometimes let them down emotionally. And so then they turn to their female friends as a way to like get every other need met. But I know that's not the audience we're speaking to here. But I, I do believe that like it took me many years to understand that my friends could let me down and still be lovable, important people in my life. So that like part of the terms of being in relationship with someone is understanding that they can't always be who you need them to be. And that the challenge or the trick is to know what is the difference between a letdown or a few letdowns and something that's toxic or unhealthy or needs to be let go of or moved on from. So I think just like bringing that recognition, it took me many years to get that for myself. Um, so that's one thing. And then I think related to that, it's super important to talk about the dark things and the light things. So for example, I think, you know, jealousy between friends is completely normal, but if we don't articulate it and if we don't, um, if we're not vulnerable with each other and willing to say like, yeah, I do struggle with the ways in which you may be accomplishing things that I'm not, or the things that you have that I don't, I think it poisons relationships. So part of what I'm saying is like, we need to be able to look squarely at the things that make us uncomfortable in friendship, as opposed to idealizing female friendship and assuming that, you know, a friend is there to kind of completely be who we need them to be. And I guess for that matter, and thirdly, maybe the third point to make is that friendships change. And the idea that there's this BFF out there, this person who not only meets our needs, but is our friend forever, I think is largely a myth. And, you know, as we change, our relationships change, as our lifestyles change, we become parents, we be, you know, take on a new job, we move, like things shift. And just because your friendships are changing doesn't mean that your friends don't want you anymore. Um, 
but that, that, that's a reality, a painful transition that we all go through, but it doesn't have to mean much more than the fact that it is a transition. Yeah. And, um, as a queer woman who breaks up with, with girlfriends, you know, that, that, that loss of a best friend. So it's interesting you saying it and then thinking about my straight friends who may not have had that experience or understanding it as a breakup, but I do think it's a good point. Friendships do move on just the way relationships move on. Yeah. I don't think they're that different. I mean, I call it friend divorce. You know, that's what I call it for people of all ages that we, we go through friend divorces just like we might go through a, an intimate relationship divorce. So what about then with queer women who've lived our whole lives with girls who were mean to us potentially when we're younger and now we're grown up and we want to have relationships? What do queer women that are older need to understand about trust issues we may not even realize we have, confidence issues around when girls are mean to us when we're younger, insecurity yeah. around all that? That's a great question too. I mean, I think... So I think that, like me, if you went through a really tough situation in your girlhood with other girls, and you didn't really get a chance to make sense of it, um, you didn't do whether it was therapy or having, you know, a trusted adult in your life to help you understand it, it's really easy for some of the lessons that you learn to linger with you into adulthood. So for example, if you in middle school you know, were excluded or cast out or somehow targeted and you decided like girls can't be trusted or, you know, people don't really want me. Even if they say they want me, they're talking about me behind my back. You can kind of habitually begin to decide that that's true in your relationships as an adult. You can default to this immediate assumption of, oh, I don't think she wants me or, oh, I think that they're leaving me out on purpose and that's why they didn't invite me. Um, or that's why I saw a picture of them on social media and I wasn't included is because they don't want me there. But in middle school, that might have been true. So can we can what is going on with that? Why does that happen? And what what does it mean about women? And how can we trust going forward? Why does it happen in middle school? Yeah. And how much of that is still carrying on into adulthood? How much does do the things that cause that to happen still exist inside of us? Yeah. I mean, I guess my point that I was trying to make is that just because something happened in middle school doesn't mean that it will, by extension, continue to happen in adulthood and that it's important to stop yourself from carrying assumptions over. Right. Catastrophizing. Yeah. Yeah, And just like, yeah. But I guess to your question about, you know, why do girls do this? I mean, I think it's partly an expression of power. And I think, you know, when you're a young person, you're kind of trying to assert your power in lots of different ways. You might use your voice or you might use your relationships. And so for girls, relationships are a powerful tool to sort of say, I'm strong because all of these people like me um, and you're not. And so when trying to assert your power, one of the ways you do that is by, like I said, collecting certain kinds of relationships and, and, and deciding that other people can't have relationships, taking their relationships away from them. So this can happen partly, like I said, because you want to, you know, accrue status, but it can also happen just because you're mad at somebody. So you're in middle school and you're pissed off at somebody. And instead of telling them how you feel, you're just going to take their friends away from them. And so it is a tool. It's a weapon. And that's one of the reasons why I, in my first book, Odd Girl Out, felt really strongly that that behavior needed to be redefined as aggressive and not just as girls being girls. Yeah. And when you think about little kids, you know, maybe they'll swing a bat in a place that's dangerous and mom has to say, don't swing that bat inside. 
And maybe as little girls, we have these tools, these weapons of our relationships. And since no one's telling us, don't swing that around inside, we're just swinging around like crazy people and hurting each other because we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how dangerous it is yet. Now, as women, I don't, do you think we still do it as much? Because I find, you know, I, I definitely have more of a maturity about me than I would have when I was little. I'm not saying I don't think it ever happens, but what do you think about that? Um, I think you're right that parents' reaction to the behavior plays a really big role in how big of a problem it becomes. And there's research to support that. In other words, we find that when parents step in and say, stop telling that girl you won't be her friend anymore if she doesn't do what you want, the kid is a lot more likely to stop doing it. Just like when your parent says, stop swinging that around, if they back it up with consequences, if they really make it a teachable moment, the kid's behavior is modified. The problem is, is that in a culture that kind of believes that girls saying, I won't be your friend anymore is funny or is like, oh, she's so catty, ha ha, like that's just, she's such a princess. Instead of saying, actually, that's kind of violent. That's a kind of violence that that girl is learning to exert. Um, we have an issue where girls aren't getting that message from adults. I really like how you put that as violence. I hadn't, I love that. Um, what I also think is interesting is what is the ways in which our confidence get in, in our, um, our, our, what's the word, permission to stand in our confidence gets thwarted by what you call being called all that, a girl who thinks she's all that. Like that's the worst insult you can give someone is if you say, oh, she thinks she's all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that is the just really terrible contradictions that girls grow up with, which is, and I think these contradictions are even more keenly felt the more opportunity we give girls and the more we expect of girls. And the contradiction is, you know, be strong and successful and smart and break barriers, but make sure that you're humble and nice to everyone. You don't make anyone feel uncomfortable with all of your achievements. And so what that creates is a generation that is both striving and being told to strive um, and being given access to all of the benefits that come with striving. But they're also being told, make sure you hem yourself in and they're being policed by other girls and, in fact, by adults when they don't hem themselves in. But they're policing each other especially. And that still carries on. Yeah, into- but they're policing each other. They're policing each other because they've internalized the message from the culture, not because, you know, I think they they understand they've been told not to take up too much space by adults. They've been told to be modest. And so what they're doing is they're verbalizing what they've been told by and, and it's a very convenient function to perform. In other words, they're playing the role of the culture by policing other girls. I mean, that's what's so messed up is that girls who punish other girls are really just, it's just the culture speaking through them. And that's why consciousness is so important. Consciousness raising for girls. Do you think we outgrow that? Sometimes. I mean, there's all, I mean, like, I think sometimes we outgrow it. And sometimes you see mean girls all around you at at every age. So I think, um, I mean, I think unless there are certainly some girls who are aggressive who change by the time that they've gotten older and they, they ask forgiveness and, you know, they know they've messed up, but there are plenty of women who act like this, um, particularly in the workplace and who get, um, you know, and the way that they strike in the workplace is that they can damage your reputation well beyond by using relationships. They can damage your reputation by not sharing information with you or including you in important meetings or recommending you for certain positions or, or, you know, committees 
So, um, so I think that that happens a lot, but I do believe that many women who act like this don't have a deeper knowledge of why they just know that they're pissed off at somebody for, you know, thinking she's better than other people and want to punish her for it. And they don't have the greater understanding of how they're actually just doing the work of a patriarchal culture by dividing women from each other. As queer women, where do you think that these issues come up the most in relationships? I mean, did you find this when you were coming out? Did you run into any of the things that are in your book? Like, what do you think was the most relevant to queer relationships of all the things you learned? Um, hmm, that's a good question. My brain's exploding thinking about that question. Um, well, I guess the thing that I have seen with queer women is that when women are together, I mean, they can be, not always, but they can be importing some of those same dynamics that happen in friendship into the intimate relationship realm. So just as you expect your female friend to be everything to you, now you expect your partner to be everything to you. And and just as in your female friendships, you might merge a lot, like, you know, you're sort of you have this really strong dyadic connection, like with one other person, and you're telling them everything and you're sharing everything with them. Like that's not always so healthy in an intimate relationship. Like sometimes you need boundaries and you need to not share everything and you need to like give the other person their space and be okay with that space. And so I think it's really important to try and not bring some of those dynamics into the intimate space. But what about issues like trust because of girls who are mean when we are in our confidence because we're, you know, in our ability to stand in our confidence and not be afraid of looking like we're all that or competition. Do you think these are things that between two queer women that are dating or, or during courtship ever comes up? Gosh, I wish I knew. I'm not sure I can speak to that. Um, I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess I'm just, I mean, sure. Can there be dynamics of jealousy and, and stuff like that? Yeah, sure. Of course. Um, I think during breakups, Oh, you do. Okay. So you think, so you want to eat What do you think? I think that, so in that situation, there could be jealousy during when all is falling apart. Sure. Can be kind of interesting, but I think what's more where it came up more was when I first came out and started going to girl bars and there were clicks everywhere mm-hmm. and all my friends were guys. And then I had to start going back to the lesbian bars and realize I have to figure this out. I have to go figure out girl relationships now. Right. I mean, I think that resonates with me. I mean, I think the L word, that show, which apparently is being rebooted, um, to me brought a lot of those dynamics out, um, in terms of the cliquishness and, and some of the insularity. I mean, in a way, I'm not sure how female that is as much as it is a function of like, when you are in a marginalized group, you may form these kind of small and, um, seemingly secure clusters of people to sort of survive in and give each other nurturing and care. If you, for example, don't get that from your family because you're a queer person. Cause I think men do this too. I think gay men um, are known to be clicky as well. So I don't know that I would say it was just entirely a female queer thing. Interesting. I also wonder if we get, because it's, with the question of thinking she's all that, and this is not one that I think it's not an answer that I have. It's a question that I have is, is there, if we, if there's a part of us that's a little jealous of girls with their confidence, is there a part of us that's either going to maybe be turned off by, cause you're supposed to want to, you're, 
to be able to flirt with confidence, but then the fear of, of turning other people off or, or triggering other people's jealousy. Yeah. So with wanting to be confident when flirting, but not triggering other girls' jealousy in a world where we're not supposed to think we're all that, which I think is interesting. Right. I mean, to me, I can totally see how that would be an issue. I guess it depends. It's, to me, it's a case by case basis. Like, if you are in a friend group where that's happening, it's probably not a good sign, especially if you're like a grown ass person, like, and you can't handle your friend being confident or your friend being successful. Oh, so now we're not talking about friend groups. Now I'm talking about you're picking up women or you're meeting women. Are there dynamics because of dynamics between women when there's jealousy? These, are, these aren't answers that I have. These are questions that I have. I think it's interesting based on what I learned about girl aggression and, and just competition in general uh-huh. and then putting us in because we are both, you know, a lot with straight girls, they're dating men so they can compete with each other, but then they date men. Uh-huh. For queer females, if... if in theory, females compete because females are competitive with each other in that own way, but then we're also dating each other. And I'm not saying we're directly competitive, but on sub subconscious level. Does any of this make sense? Um, I guess I'm trying to figure out who is the competition between in this scenario. I don't know, but I, I find it interesting because I know that instinctively we are competitive. And then I just wonder how this all plays out when we're also dating females. Um, but are you talking about women competing to date the same person? No, I'm just talking about that feeling when you talk to someone and she might be more successful than you, like you were saying, or she might be prettier than you or whatever it is that you might feel inside that you're insecure about and you're talking to another female. And so there's this instinct to feel maybe better or worse or less or more competitive in whatever way, because that's our instinct. But at the same time, when we're with queer females, maybe dating, this might be someone we're attracted to. So are we, yeah. how does that, you understand what I'm saying? I do. I mean, sure. I think that's probably like a red flag. If the person that you're trying, that you're hitting on is someone who also makes you feel really insecure or competitive. Like I would say that's not probably a great way to proceed into a connection with someone. Is it possible that you would feel that way more because you're dating another female? Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just that, that makes sense because if, women exist in this culture of scarcity where resources are less available to them and you're going after someone who has more than you, like, sure, you could feel that way. But I think, like I said, if that is the case, it's probably not a good idea to proceed. Like, that's not a relationship I'd want to keep wading into. Yeah, no, of course. But I just find it these interesting dynamics. And I'm not saying that they'd all be above the surface, just like little under, you know, the little triggers that we have or the little feelings that we might feel and then understanding what's beneath them because we did grow up in these environments with girls and I'm just trying to think about how they might still be just subconsciously playing out in our mind, um, including trust issues. Like, so we've been bullied by girls when we were little and now, or we've been abandoned by a best friend when we were little. Now we're dating a girl, you know, same thing. Like, is there, do you think there's more fear of abandonment because of that or you think... I really, I, I really wouldn't be able to tell you. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I think that our fears of abandonment in a relationship are probably more based in what we experience with our own parents than the fact of our gender or our peer relationships. I, I do think that gets a little bit more into things like attachment and um, kind of how you experienced connection in, in your earliest relationships. Interesting. So, Having a best friend abandon you when you were little, that's not necessarily what you're going to be as afraid of with 
with not not with a partner, not with with a partner, with a girlfriend. Right. No, I don't. I don't generally think that would be the case, but I'm. That's just my speculation. Cool. Um, so can we just talk a little bit about what a relational aggression and direct aggression? I mean, indirect aggression and social aggression. I would love to hear you just explain it a little bit. Sure. So relational aggression is when you use your friendship as a weapon, um, meaning you kind of. It could be like giving someone the silent treatment where you stop speaking to someone kind of as a way to get them to do what you want them to do. So um, by going silent, you're kind of implying that if they don't comply, your relationship with them is over. So that's a form of relational aggression. So you're getting compliance. It's sort of like a it's it's like the definition of bossiness. Yeah, a threat. Basically, like a threat around the relationship, like this really, and sometimes it can be more explicitly spoken. Like, for example, if you've ever been caught between two people who, you know, didn't like each other, and one of them says to you, "It's either her or me." Like, I, if you're going to be friends with her, you can't be friends with me. That's a kind of relational aggression. That's threatening someone to get what you want and saying, "Like, our friendship is over." It's, it's kind of a blackmail, right? If, if you don't do what I want, and then social aggression which is quite similar to relational aggression is really like harming someone's social status through gossip or rumors. So it's like, you know, talking about someone behind their backs so that because of the gossip, people start treating them differently. People withdraw from them. People continue to talk about them behind their backs. People stop connecting with them in the same way or inviting them to things or including them. And so you, there's like a snowball effect there that starts with gossip or a rumor, but that actually culminates in that person's relationships being damaged. And then indirect aggression is like seemingly unintentional aggression. So like hurting someone, but then acting like you didn't mean to. And I think the use of humor is a great example of that. So sort of saying something really mean, but then saying you were just kidding and kind of leaving the target wondering, were you really just kidding? Cause that was a really shitty thing to say. Um, and, and, and so, you know, making it seem like your intention was not to harm someone, even if you did. And all girls do this, right? I mean, this isn't something, when we talk about mean girls, it's not because certain girls are just particularly mean. This is something that's inside of all of us. I mean, I would say it's inside of men too. I, I don't, I think men do this plenty. And actually some of the research finds that by middle school, boys and girls engage in equivalent levels of relational aggression. Um, I just read a study a couple of days ago. No, it was yesterday that found that um, in a study of college students, they were the researchers were surprised to find that that men engaged in more relational aggression at the college level. So, you know, I think we need to be careful to just remember that maybe girls come into it earlier and maybe they're more likely to engage in this over beating someone up. But it doesn't mean that guys aren't doing it, too. And I would say, like, not every girl does it. Like, I don't, we don't really know that to be true. That's really interesting. So the reason relational aggression is so scary for little girls is because of this whole idea of I don't want to be your friend anymore, being kicked out mm -hmm. of the group, being left alone, that fear of being alone, being so palpable for little girls. Why is that? Um, well, I think, I mean, I think we all have that fear, right? Like, every human being has a fear of abandonment. For every human being, isolation is a source of everything from shame to panic to like, you know, inability to thrive. So nobody wants to be alone. But there is something about girls who get a lot of um, self-worth from their connections, 
who, because they're raised to be caregivers and to please others, may have a particular investment in their connections with each other because they're being, because who they are being asked to be in the world, like who a girl is expected to be is really tied to who she's connected with, like her friendships. And so like a lot of a girl's social status would be defined by her friendships. Um, do, do, do you think more than guys? Do you think that's also true just as much for guys? I think it's, I think it's true. Yes, to an extent, but I don't think guys' social status comes as much from friendship as it as it is for girls. So I think for guys, there's much there's a lot of emphasis on athletic ability for social status, whereas for girls, they you don't, they don't have that equivalent skill um, that's being valued. And so the point being that the the prospect of isolation and of losing friends gets wound up with all of these other things. Do you think that then for queer females later in life, if we've stayed in groups, if we stayed in friends, if, if we've let a, a relational aggression keep us in friendships that maybe weren't good for us, if she says either it's her or me and we choose her because we're too scared, do you think that that later in life affects our relationships in any way? Um, I think that if you are like habitually in relationship with people who use threats as a way to get you to like fall in line in the relationship, then you might repeatedly be drawn to those kinds of relationships because it's what's familiar to you. So then do you think that, you know, that we're focusing on the life of girls and if it, at the end of the day, guys are the same, uh, is it the same or there is there some way in which the experience of a female because of our sensitivities that there is some, what is the uniqueness then if I didn't get it? Well, there's lots of uniqueness. The, the uniqueness, just to reiterate, is that, you know, we're socializing girls differently than boys and that girls are getting a different sense of where their social status and values come from. Um, so, you know, we do expect girls to kind of conform to mainstream femininity and to be pleasers and to take care of others and to kind of be compliant um, and to be selfless. And while some boys get that message, there's no question that boys have permission to be something very different. And so how we socialize girls is going to affect how comfortable they are communicating when they're upset, because if you've been told to please others, it may be harder for you to speak up in a relationship and tell somebody that you're upset, and then you may be more likely to stay in a relationship that's uncomfortable for you because you're because of your desire to please. Um, my point being, though, that, that there are lots of boys who fall into that category as well. There are lots of boys who hear about the socialization of girls and say, but wait a minute, I also worry about letting people down. And I also feel like I have to be nice all the time. So I'm just trying to keep both of you know, that perspective in mind, that there are differences. And there are a lot of boys and men who relate to the things that you're talking about. Of course. And, and I think that that is important about what you're saying is about this ability, this fear of, of the people pleasing and then communication and relationships can we get into a little, can you explain what you mean by communication issues because of fear of expressing our truth, for example? Sure. I think if, you know, if you grow up with that message that you're supposed to be liked by other people and please them and take care of them, then you probably aren't learning and practicing a lot of skills for direct conflict resolution with someone. So you don't really have the skills for, um, you know, this is why I'm upset with you and this is what I need. And I believe that those are muscles that you have to flex repeatedly in order to, you know, be successful. It's not just like you wake up one day knowing how to have a difficult conversation. 
And so I think anybody who's gotten that really strong message, and on top of that, maybe anyone who grew up in a home where the adults that were in charge of taking care of them were also not verbalizing their feelings, or particularly the woman role model was, you know, quiet or conflict avoidant, like that makes it even more likely that you're going to really struggle with that. So that's a very important kind of gap to fill as an adult. Like if that, you know, is something that you struggle with, it has, it may have everything to do with your socialization as a female, but it's something that, you know, can be changed, can be worked with. Understanding, of course, that also boys aren't taught how to handle conflict. It's not like anyone's taught. So I understand that. But when we are talking about two girls together, that fear that one fight will end the relationship. Um, there, I, remember I was talking to um, a primatologist who was talking about a study where you ask a little boy, you know, how long can you stay mad at, his, at a friend? And he'd say, I could be mad all day. And you ask a little girl, how long can you be sta- stay mad at her? And she'd say, for my whole life, for example. So this feeling that any conflict will end the relationship between two friends who are girls. Do you think that that's unique to girls? Or are you also disputing uh- that? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I guess I, I tend to believe less and less that anything is unique to one sex, to be really honest. So I don't think it's unique to girls, but I think that if you don't have practice with conflict and if you're not accustomed to going through the messy process of sharing how you feel with someone and coming out the other end, then of course you're going to think that conflict will be the end of your relationship. So it's, you know, so, so Anybody who has that experience is going to be living with that fear of abandonment. So best tools then for overcoming when we were little girls and other girls were mean to us, work with conflict, right? Understanding how to really work out feelings with another person so that it doesn't end the relationship. What else would you say? Um, I think just like making sure that you're really clear about how you feel. I mean, I think like if you yourself aren't connected to how you feel, if you're not paying attention to what makes you angry or sad or betrayed or embarrassed or anxious in a relationship, it's really hard to act on that. I just was meeting with a student um, where I work. I work on a college campus and I was meeting with a student who really couldn't articulate a thought without judging it. So in other words, she would say, well, I want to say this, but that's stupid. Or, you know, I, or I don't want to seem this way to other people. And her inability to, to respect her own emotional experience was going to make it very difficult for her to connect with others. So, yes, conflict resolution practices are really important. But if you don't take yourself seriously and you're not connected authentically with what's going on for you, it's really difficult to get to that next stage of bringing that into somebody, into conversation with someone else. So authentic connection. Um I think that's great. Anything else? Any other advice for like, because you did have girls be mean to when you, when you were younger, how are, what are some of the most important tools you use for? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think therapy is great too, but like, you know, if you, if you're, if you're really unresolved about a situation, it's important to, to go to invoke professional help to heal if you need to heal. Um, but I ultimately think you need to recognize that adult relationships are different for the most part, or should be different than the ones you had as a girl. And if you find that you're repeating habits or tropes from your childhood, like that's an opportunity to, to work with a counselor on, okay, like how do I get out of this loop? How do I break this loop and do something different? Or even if it's not extreme like that, when someone is threatening their relationship, that's a form of aggression. You may not have had words for it before, but those little things are a form of aggression. Gossip being a form of aggression, these things which I find also really interesting. 
Yeah. Cool. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. I know you have to hop off. I don't want to take up you have, I know you only have one more minute. Um, I appreciate it. I have a, I have a meeting across campus that I have to get to. So, um, I'm sorry that I have to stop early, but I do appreciate the opportunity and I love what you do. I think it's great. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks for everything you do. I really enjoyed your books and your work. I think it's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for the great questions. Thank you. Take care. Bye. And now I would love to hear from you. We covered a whole lot of things in this interview, but I'm curious, what of the many things we spoke about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and have passionate intimacy together, then there are free resources that can help you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a class on the number one thing you can do to end your loneliness if you're single, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a guide to the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of this is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of these things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to find the woman of your dreams faster and easier, and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally meet her. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other queer women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. Women.